Stephen, amazing Stephen De Silva, has, I mean, he has poured out so much through the years and this weekend. Um, we've known each other for like 20 years. Um, and uh, I want to tell you, he's, there's a gift within Stephen to release things, uh, take things off of you that are going to hinder you, release keys. He's got keys for you. And usually they're woven into stories, right? There it is. He's got keys for you. Um, so all I'm saying is open up your hearts to say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to speak to my heart through Stephen. Just tell him that. Give you permission, Holy Spirit. Wow. I, I'm, <laughs> I, think, I think he was really happy about that. He's like, I'm so glad you asked that because it's what we're going to do right now. Um, Stephen was the, the CFO for um, Bethel for 21 years. Last couple years, he has launched out into his own ministry. I, know, I don't know if he's going to talk about it, but in the back, he's got product that's he, he's selling really low tonight, and it's just really good stuff. After you hear him, you're going to know why. So um, could you welcome with me and, and bless and honor Stephen De Silva. So I was given this key today by uh, one of the intercessors at, at Blazing Fire, and she said, I, she gave me this key because she said, I feel like God's giving you keys to know which door to open. So I bless you with the ability to have the key, because I feel like God's releasing favor, and what, part of what he's doing this weekend is he's starting a new thing. Pentecost is about a new thing, but it's, it's also a new thing that we all have met together as two churches on Pentecost Sunday, because it was all about unity that released Holy Spirit. And I've always felt we're one church, and I, when people come up to me and I say, oh, yeah, I go to Blazing Fire, because we're one church, and, and um, when you create that, people can feel that off you, right? Um, and, and religious spirit is, I, I've always said, the number one symptom of a religious spirit is it separates you from those you're called to reach. And sometimes we're called to reach other people from other churches. <laughs> and they're called to reach us. And there's a unity that comes through the Holy Spirit that's really powerful. But I also, we're going to pray for Stephen. I feel like um, when we're hungry... I want you guys to extend your hands because I believe there's an anointing on speakers. And that's one of the things we do at Hunger School is we say, hey, man, we, we're hungry and we pull on the anointing that other people carry. So, Jesus, we just pull on Stephen's anointing tonight and we bless him with what we carry. When I bring these new speakers in, we come and we're, we're here to minister to them as a body as much as possible. And so we release the love of Jesus and the anointing of the Bay Area. I, I just release over you financial um, uh, anointing that's been on my life to make money and to make really good decisions to make money. And I bless you with that in Jesus' name. And I bless you with favor in front of uh, other people, other CEOs, other groups of people that you're, you're going to be speaking in secular and non-secular groups. And God's going to give you opportunities to release your message to a lot of different people and break orphan spirit. Because really what you're doing is breaking off orphan spirit in the area of finances in people's lives. So we bless Stephen and we thank you, God, for what he carries in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, I don't want to sit alone so some people can just sit with me. Okay. Okay, thank you.
How many were here last night? Oh, my heart is happy right now. How many were not here last night? Wow. How many raised both hands that, for both questions? <laughs> it's a little boomy. Can we have the vocals back off just a hair? Yeah, okay. So we were last night, we really dove in deep into a subject of capacities. Anybody? Um, raise your hands again if you were not here last night. Did any of you with your hands up use, uh, watch the Facebook? Okay. Okay, so we have a, I'll hand out those who want it. It's an option. This is a little survey or what I call a capacity audit. And it's designed to trigger some thinking around the subjects of protection, provision, and worth. Okay? We had about 68 people do that last night. The way it works is I'll have you fill it out super fast. It's not a test that requires deep meditation. It's not that smart. It's just a, a quick and dirty assessment. I'm going to keep on teaching, but I want you to, to know what I'm going to do. If your hand is up and you're getting this form, you're going to fill this out. You're not going to put your name on it. Repeat after me. I'm not going to put my name on this paper. Say it one more time. I'm not going to put my name on this paper. Perfect. What I'm going to ask is you. We're out. Here's some more. We are loaded. This is a full service survey. I am going to ask for your paper back. Repeat after me. I, Steve is going to ask for the paper back. Which is why I'm not going to write my name on the paper. Does that make sense? So when you do the test, just run through it quickly and take a screenshot with your handy iPhone or Android of the page and turn it back. I want the information back because I'm building this as a tool inside of my ministry to go after the orphan spirit. Okay? Now, if you're working on this, on this survey, on this audit, go ahead and work on that. I'm going to keep going for the rest of us. How many of you would like to have the answer sheet? <laughs> yes, this is the answer sheet. This is so technically designed. I labored probably 
10 minutes on this thing, which is a long time in my brain, okay? This is not science. I'm goofing around. Say he's goofing around. Steve is taking a serious subject. Say serious subject. And I'm trying to find an easy way to trigger some new thinking. Because you see, the body of Christ is behind, in my humble opinion. The body of Christ at one point was revered. If we were to read in the book of Acts, we would see how scary the body of Christ began. At one point it said they would not even approach those people, the the little Christs. They were scared. You remember Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. Go check it out. It's pretty remarkable what was going on. There was reverence. There was a hush over these people, these Christ followers. But over the years, it's an interesting dynamic, in my humble opinion, that this gospel came over to the United States, thank you, Jesus, And we blended it with some American ideas. Those American ideas are not evil or wrong. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that Jesus was not an American. Is that fair and safe? We can go there. America is cool. Jesus is cooler. I love America. But I'm recognizing how many ways I think as a culture that are not biblically accurate. Now, I think the Bible's full of really cool things, but it's also, it covers two religions. Did you know that? It covers the Jewish religion, and it covers this Jesus religion, this relationship with Christ. Is that fair? Maybe you never thought about that before, but Jesus literally re-engineered Judaism. It became a whole new thing on the planet. Jesus began to teach, and later Paul the Apostle began to articulate what we un- most of what we understand is the New Testament. There's a couple of other players. But my point is, I think we carry a filter that we are unaware of because we live in America And America is an amazing, beautiful place. I think we have anointing for the creation of wealth. I do. I think the United States is carrying a version of Deuteronomy 8.18. Write that down. Deuteronomy 8.18. That verse says that God is giving you the power to create wealth. Think of the Industrial Revolution. Think of what the United States has done. Do you know that the United States is now considered the longest-running empire ever in the planet? The most profitable, expanded, peaceful, peacetime empire ever. It's hard to imagine when we start thinking about the Romans and the Greeks and the Chinese dynasties. But this 
country is blessed. But I believe every country carries a blessing. Every nation has its own twist. A fingerprint from the Holy Spirit to do something in the world as a community. Does that make sense? The Swiss have their unique anointing. The French, well, I'm not sure about them, but (laughs) I'm teasing. I love France. But Americans and Canadians, South Africans, Kenyans, there's not a country you can name that doesn't have a unique print, I believe from God the maker, uniquely on them as a country to accomplish some kind of assignment from the Holy Spirit in the planet. I think the devil is upset about that. And he runs around and he works at twisting any time there is an anointing, he's trying to twist it. I said that America has, in my belief, a gift of Deuteronomy 8.18, the power to create wealth. I think that this is why mammon has reigned in America. Because the enemy of our souls has twisted our cultural thinking. Mammon. Mammon is a very old idea. It actually comes out of Babylon. It's very, very old. It means money deified. It means money deified. It does not mean greed. Greed is like an echo of the core idea of deification of money. Can you see that? When I deify money, when I say, uh, God, could you step aside because I want to worship money. Why would anyone do that? Because money is powerful. And it exchanges. If I worship it, I get something back. I get financially powerful. I get influence. I get lots of things back when I worship money. God is super jealous about that. He has an opinion. He says, don't, I don't, I don't roll that way. He is God. And I don't believe money is a God. I think it is something we, we envision as a God. I don't think that there's literally a mammon God up there that God, our God is wrestling with. I think God sits in the heavens and laughs at his enemies. I think he thinks the best that the devil can do is a huge joke. But he is aware that we are being tricked and distorted in some of our thinking. And so what I want to do tonight is to talk about how to straighten that out. Now, I, I like to think... I want to use some definitions real quick. I like to talk about the Hebrew mindset, comparing it to the American mindset. Now, why do I pick Hebrew and not Jewish? And the answer is really simple. I think that... Let me find my powerful illustration... 
the birthday of the Hebrews. In other words, the Hebrews as a thing began at a moment when Abram gave an offering to a guy named Melchizedek. Remember that? Abram was not Abraham yet. Abram was a kook who went into the wilderness. Kook, it's a Latin term that is affectionate, okay? We are kooks for Christ, yeah? He went into the desert to find and worship the one true God. I say kook because in those days, it was a polytheistic model everywhere. Everyone thought there are sun gods and moon gods and camel gods and horn-toed gods or whatever. They had gods for everything, and they worshipped all this stuff. And then along comes Abram, who says, I think there's one, and I think he is most high. So Abram goes into the desert and is farming away in the middle of nowhere, and this beat-up little guy comes running up. This beat-up guy comes in to Abraham. Now, Abram is farming in the dirt. He has gone out with a little tribe, and they are with sticks and hoes making things grow and raising cattle. He was a farmer. And he's out in this place working away, and this beat-up guy comes limping in, and he says, Abram, Abram. He's like, yeah, what? What's going on? He said, Sodom and a bunch of guys just went to war with a bunch of other guys and they stole your nephew, Lot. Now, I don't know if this is in the Bible, but I think I'm not far from the truth when I say Abram straightened up, shook his head, oy vey. That boy. And he goes to his farmers, his guys, and he says, let's gather up all of our rakes and hoes and shovels and go chase down these armies. And the guys, the farmers around him are going, yeah, wait, what did he just say? Because it was five kings against four. And I can't remember which one One, if it was the five or the four, who cares? One group beat up the other group and took all their stuff, including Lot, and took off for home. They were shopping. That's how they shopped in those days. The only thing missing were the carts. They were like, they were going along, pushing their cart, going, oh, look at that, Sodom. There's a king over there, and he looks like he's got a bunch of cool stuff. What do you say we go shopping? Sure. So the way it works is when you would go to their territory, this is historically accurate, when you step into their territory, you have a choice. I can either give a tribute to pass through nice and peacefully, or I cannot and go shopping. That means all their dudes come out And fight against all your dudes. And whoever wins gets to have the stuff. So this was going on all the time. The tribute was common in those days. That's how nomads got around 
peacefully, or they went shopping. So here we go. They went shopping. They lost all their stuff, including Lot. And the winning kings are pushing their carts back home. Way in the distance is this little dust cloud. And the, and the kings all stop and they're like, what is that? And here comes a bunch of farmers. They're mad as bees. And they got their sticks and their hoes or whatever they got. And they come running up and they attack the army. Now I'm thinking the army probably said, awesome, we'll get some more stuff. Let's go shopping, boys. They are a warrior. They're warriors. And here come the farmers. The story goes on, you know what? They win. The farmers win. Scare the warrior kings so bad, they take off running, and the farmers chase them. And they end up miles from where they started. They are way off in the bushes with a bunch of full shopping carts. (laughs) They got cattle and probably goats and sheep, maybe, I don't know. They've got ladies and some guys. They got gold and all sorts of cool stuff. They just cleaned out Walmart and they're coming home and there's this long crowd behind them. They come along, they come home. On the way, there's another boundary. It's the territory of Salem. It's a little line in the sand and here's Abram, he's standing right at the line. Now he has a choice because this is the deal. I can give a tribute and pass through safely or... I can go shopping again. That is the time they're living. Do you get that? And he says, I'm going to give tribute because the guy inside Melchizedek has no beginning or end. Now, Abram's smart. Don't start a fight with a guy who never has a beginning or an end. That's clear. And so he, he's standing there Melchizedek comes out to him. This is very rare. The king comes to him. Abram gives him a tenth of all the increase. We know this part. Did you know what happened to the other 90%? I bet you never thought about that. Abram has shopping carts of stuff. Where did he get it? From the desert going shopping. He went and got Lot back. Right? He gets a lot, he gets a whole bunch of stuff, and he comes back, and I think Abram is standing at the line, the boundary of Salem, and he hears the sound of sheep and cows and ladies laughing and kids running, and I think he recognized this was a miracle from God Most High. Farmers don't beat armies very often. Not too often. Something must have happened. Abram gives 10%, a tenth of all the increase to Melchizedek. If you read the study really close, you'll find out that all the rest he gave back to Sodom. There was a small piece that didn't. It's just the amount his tribe, his warriors ate. There's a little bit they ate. He said, Can't do anything about what's in their tummies. That's their wages. But I don't want to be made rich 
I don't want you to blame me someday and accuse me of Sodom made me rich. God is my provider. They call that, historians call that the birth of the Hebrews. The Hebrew nation was sparked at that exchange. Abram became Abraham. And from there, we have Isaac and Jacob. Those are son and grandson. What you see is the birth of of a nation of faith, believing in the one true God. It was a first iteration on the planet. There was one other guy that I can tell biblically who had that, and that was Melchizedek himself. I like the idea of Hebrew ideas because I want to hang on to the purity, the ferocity in Abram. Can you, can you think about that? This guy has blisters on his hands because he's a farmer. And he was ferocious. And a little team of guys, about, I forget the number, 300 and something, I don't think they had abs like the movie. But maybe, maybe, we don't know. But they went out and won this army. Wow. Now, we could think about what do the Jews think, but why would that be different? Because Jews came later with the law and Moses. When the nation, the 12 tribes, you remember? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has a bunch of kids, 12 of them, and that becomes the tribes of of Israel, right? And what happens is a bunch of them die off, and the one, the Judah, tribe of Judah, becomes the Jews. That's super beautiful. I love the story. But for me, when I think about how do I want to think, I want the Hebrew idea. I want that raw, ferocious worship idea. Now, when I, when I think about how these guys think, it was different. They think different than Americans. One of the things that they carry in their heart is clarity. They're not confused whether or not God should prosper them. Uh Uh-huh. I thought I'd just pull the glove off and pop you in the chin right there. That goes deeper than you can imagine across multiple countries. We are divided whether or not God wants to do that. Now, I want to hit pause, and I want to back up. I want to say two things. Number one, if you are done with your survey and you're comfortable, I would appreciate you to turn that in. Take your photo of the numbers because what we will monkey with are the numbers at the bottom. But I would like that because it's helping me to create a new tool for teaching. Yeah, keep them upside down. We're not going to look. No one else will get these. I'm going to get them. I'm going to study them. I'm going to shred them. Okay, you have my word. Make sure you keep your numbers so that you know what you had. I'll explain the numbers in just a moment. 
The second thing I want to share, I'm on my pause. I have an outer body experience right now. Stephen is standing over there talking, but I'm his conscience. I'm his better half right here. There is a doctrine afoot for a long time that I am not against, but I am not teaching. I want to make a little bright line distinction between a thing that is taught around prosperity and it is taught as a prosperity doctrine. I'm not teaching that because when I think that way, if you could fix that ring, I'd sure appreciate that. When I think about the prosperity doctrine, and this is not to condemn it. Can we be there? I'm just telling you how that message operates inside of my hard drive, okay? When I hear that message and think about I deserve to be rich, that may not even be fair to them. I'm just saying when that idea gets inside this little being, I start focusing on the increase that God would bring me. I do not I get stupid when I do that. So I have recognized I am instead going to concentrate on being faithful with what he gives me. My job is faithful and little. God's job is promote according to whatever he's thinking. Okay? So I don't want to confuse What I'm talking about over here about a division of confusion. I don't want this to swing in your minds when from my lips, I don't want you to hear, you deserve to be rich. I don't think that's, I I can't carry that. That's not what I'm carrying. The thing on the screen is an illustration we saw last night and a little bit in a couple of other places. What you see on here are two triangles. The green triangles represent the ability to carry what God has given us. I'm going to hit this really quick for anyone who's new. The triangle is the strongest shape that we know in geometry. You can put more weight on a triangle than anything else. A circle, square, nothing else will hold as well as the triangle. We have inside... Three belief systems that create that triangle. Our perspective of God for protection, provision, and worth. And that was the survey we just worked on. All right? Protection, God is our protector. Provision, God is our provider. And worth, this is who I am and I'm valuable. When those three things are in place, according to the Bible... We now have the ability to carry what God would add. If I am broken in one of those three areas, that's the triangle. You see, the first one has a little break on the bottom. You see that? The purpose of the survey that you just, some of you just did was to make you aware if you have something above a zero, you might have a clue. Oh. You've got three columns. Maybe you had a 10 and a 10 
and a 30. Do you see the columns? A 10, you add up all the numbers. A 10, a 10, and a 30. Oh, it looks like worth is a thing to go after with the Holy Spirit. God, what are you saying is true? What's the truth about my worth? Well, how about John 3.16? But sometimes we have the truth of the gospel that is intellectual, but it hasn't gotten down inside of our treasury. Does that make sense? And this is what we did last night. I won't re-engineer it except this little piece. Without, let's see, I think I'll use orange. Without capacity, I will continue to lose. Here's my blessing from the Lord. Increased raises, bonuses, gifts, surprises, all the things we prayed about, which, by the way, I really appreciate you guys praying for Reading. Totally awesome. I'm totally going to... That, that takes the whole thing to a new level as far as, you know. I'm like, come on. Bill, guess what? Check it out, Bill, you know. So thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Oh. Help us, Lord. So here's a guy who's gotten blessing from the Lord, and it's increased. You see that right there? But right here at the tops, that's where the test of wealth happens. That's where your advances are strongest, where your increased and blessings are, are really on. And when you're in that place, you're at a moment of, of testing. Are you going to carry what he's given, or are you going to drop it through your fingers? People self-sabotage. Things are, we, we get betrayals. We get all kinds of reasons those things fall off. But if we never learn capacity, you get this pattern right here. You see that? A systematic or a cycle that you never break out. Generationally, you can see big pictures of it. I've got it in my family. If you repair your triangle... And I'll use this one. Oh, I'm coming along, but I kind of blew it here. Dang it. I lost it. Oh, Father God, help me, help me. We worked on this last night. Look, God's blessing me. God's blessing me. Oh, my word. I got a new job. I've got a new, uh, a new position. I've got new income, opportunities, but I'm learning how to carry. You see the difference? I'm carrying. I'm showing faithfulness in little. When I demonstrate faithfulness in little, God is watching to reward us. I can prove that in the book of Hebrews. It says that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is the rewarder. Not, I'm not deserving it. It's his choice. When he rewards, I ascribe all good to God. There's not a good thing that happens that I don't say is that's from the Lord. So when any good thing happens and we get, let's say we get a new promotion because of our faithfulness in little. Are you with me? We are at a new test. This is what a glory to glory model looks like. This is what a kingdom without decrease looks like. It's too oversimplified. But that is what you see when you look at generational wealth. It's an accumulation that is an illustration of something that's going on. Capacity. I want to teach I want to teach the body of Christ to become ferocious. We, we need to be ferocious because the world deserves that. The world deserves what we read about in Acts. We can get there with our prayers and prophecies. Lord God, let us do it. Give us that anointing. 
We can pray for the sick. We can see 100 people not healed, and we will still pray. We have gotten that. We've won that battlefield. But we need to also win the battlefield of money. I mentioned that this Hebrew idea, there's no division. They want to be wealthy. They're asking God to bring it. And they are not afraid to give and sow out of it. But they are not, there's not this internal battle. Americans and other places, we do battle inside. We're conflicted. I think I know why. I might be wrong on everything. But you guys decide. You got smart pastors that can fix this all later when I leave. (laughs) This is awesome. I think it's because of our Puritan heritage. Now, I think the Puritans were amazing. Can I say it out loud? They were godly men and women. Thank you, Jesus, for them. But they had a model of thinking that joy is wrong. Laughter is evil. They wore gray. There was like, you know, well, we can color any, we can use any color you want as long as it's gray. You can have anything. You know, little kids like, thanks, Daddy. And they just, smiling wasn't, wasn't valued. Money and, inc- and increase was not valued. Survival was valued. Now, there's reasons for that, and I bless them for that, but I recognize that that is a truth. This is a little t. That's a truth that does not rise to big T truth. Does that make sense? If I define big T as Bible, as word of God, that's the absolute truth. Whenever I hunt and find something in me that is, seems very true but does not rise to this, I get out my uh, Sherlock Holmes magnifying glass and start looking really, really, really close. I start asking the Holy Spirit, what do you say is true? You know, if you get nothing out of this tonight, get this. Jesus is really smart. Okay? That guy knows stuff, man. He's super smart. And you can ask him things, and he will speak. Because we, Hebrew-hearted people, have a living God. The others don't. They got sticks and stones and weird things and all sorts of stuff. They, They honor and worship but they're all dead. There's nothing there. We have the living God. What in the world are we doing as the tail and not the head? Amen? Now, I believe to be the head, do you know that illustration? Does that work? The tail, be the, be the, don't be the tail, be the head. Biblically, that's a reference to what? Borrowing. To being in debt to some master, okay? Now, we can relate in our day. We can, we, oh, yeah, we got debt. Uh, I mean, nobody here does, I know, but you might have a friend who does, right? You might have a friend. I talked last night. I'm about to close this conversation on last night, but we talked last night about the power of exaggeration. If we are common and used to the tail of a dog. If that's kind of our deal is we're the tail, we are wagged by others, and suddenly become the head, 
we are suddenly in a very powerful shift. Can you see that? We can literally talk to our tails. <laughs> this metaphor is probably falling apart soon, but I'll just go a little farther. <laughs> we can talk to our tail and say, do this, don't do that. I'm mad at you. Look what you did to me before when I was the tail. You get that? There's three characters in the world of literature, the victim, the villain, and the hero. If you're the tail, you're like the victim. Can you see that? You are wagged and told what to do, and you're back where you don't want to be. <laughs> so here's the tail, victim. You know, when a victim becomes the head, they will naturally become the villain. Not a hero. They will naturally become a villain. A villain is a power-empowered victim. So you see opposites. The tail, if I have a slave mentality, I'm a tail, I've been ordered all my life to be a tail. God help me, God help me. One day God does. Did that ever happen in the Bible? <laughs> I'd go back to my awesome Exodus 36 picture. Isn't that cool? A nation of slaves... Tails. They, under Moses, they leave Egypt. Do you remember this? And borrowed their stuff, which, little different term, they took it. No plan to give back. They go into the desert as slaves who are now heads. But they don't know how to live as heroes. Forty years it took them in the desert to think like a hero, like a head should think. Does that make sense? 40 years they wandered around to do that. That's crazy. You know what? <laughs> the United States embarked on a war against poverty in 1964. Have we won that war yet? No. It is a miracle that Moses changed the mentality of millions of slaves into a class of people who today, go look at the winners of the Nobel Prize. 90% of them are Jewish. It's stunning. Every field. God sovereignly engineered a converging, a, a, a conversion of thinking from villain to hero. Can you see that? This is what we need to do, guys. Because if... We prayed, if I had a supernatural thing here, and I could, this is a squirt gun, by the way. <laughs> and I could run around and squirt all you guys, and suddenly all your debt fell free. Literally. And I do that, and I do that. And your debt fell free. As a slave or as a tail, you would be back in debt in about two years. If, this is statistically proven. If you win the lottery, you will be broke within two years. Yeah. I think the number is 80%. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the stat, but it's very high percentage of all inheritance is lost within two years. Because it's passing from a generation, a family. Let's say I'm the parent. I managed to learn capacity and create wealth. My Altitude went up. Can you see that? I train my kids, teach them. They're like, ah, dad, whatever. I finally one day 
One way or the other, it goes. We can't take this stuff to heaven. I hand it to my kids. If they wobble and fall, they would be statistically average. Within two years, it would all be gone. United States, average worker, whether you're college or high school, doesn't matter. The average person earns in a lifetime between one and three million dollars. And yet the average American cannot handle a $400 unexpected event. Right now, this is a stat right now. We do not know capacity. The reason there's a pile of gold in this picture is because when God said, let's build a tabernacle, and Moses said, let's take an offering, these slaves poured out all the wealth they got from Egypt. I'm about to draw another parallel. Ugh, almost locked on that one. Parallel between Hebrew thinking and American thinking. This one's delicate. Stay with me. And if I break it, take it up with pastor. Okay? <laughs> After I'm gone. I'll fix that later. Yeah. Um, where was I at? Parallel of what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The Hebrew thinking in the desert when that remarkable offering took place, Exodus 36, go read it. Moses had to say, whoa, stop. There was so much coming in. He said, they're stacking it in the roads. Just like, whoa, stop. There was so much gold and stuff. That is used in America as the standard in some circles. Generosity that is radical to that extent. Did you know that they were not giving their own stuff? They were giving away the Egyptian stuff. And when I have, like if I could have your stuff... And somebody were to take an offering? Yeah, man. <laughs> right? But it's different when it's my own stuff because I'm trying to eke out a life. You, you see what's going on right here? If we set an expectation on ourselves of that, which is beautiful. I'm not, dimin- I'm not diminishing that. I'm saying let's understand the history. This Hebrew giver will protect their lives and homes so that they can manage from strength. And in America, we have an idea of managing from weakness. I'll tell you why. Woo, delicate. But I want, I only have a few minutes. I got to crack open some ideas here. You see... There's a verse in, I think it's 2 Timothy 5.8. Could you check that? Paul is a Pharisee. He's an expert in the law. He's been studying the Jews. That's, he's an attorney. That's his jam. He's a rabbi. And Paul says this really interesting little fleeting verse. He said, if you, he said to give, to not support your family and yourself, you're worse than an unbeliever. That's a weird little verse. What's that doing there? I think it's this. I think we are... 
1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy, sorry. I think one of the ideas in this Hebrew idea is to operate in Christ from strength because we can do more. It has to be managed by the Holy Spirit. There's no formulas. Golden calf. Be careful. Don't slide. Here's a road, and there's a ditch on each side, and you can lock up in either ditch. You got me? Don't. We've got to learn how to travel and not fall off on extremes on either side. If you talk to Jewish thinkers or Hebrew-minded thinkers, you find... We want to operate our finances from a position of strength. And I could give you lots of examples. For example, I'll give you this one. Do you know the Bible is not against lending and borrowing? We have a big thing against debt. The Bible doesn't. But it said when you lend, you lend to a brother or a sister at zero interest. You know why? Because there was no inflation. And lending was for the borrower's benefit, not the lender. Today, what is it? It's for the lender's benefit. And we have inflation plus a profit on top. The institutions today are designed to be predatory. They're not for our benefit if we borrow. Student loan is a horrible example. Our army of students coming out of college and they're stuck, strapped with a debt for years. There's ways the wealthy think that are different than the poor and middle class. There's different ways of thinking. I'm going to close in on a... uh, Pretty quickly here, I'm going to quit. You guys okay? Is anybody mad at me yet? Okay. Okay. If you are mad, take this down. My name is Banning Leapshur. Okay? Okay? Yeah. I'm from Jesus Culture. And uh, um, there's a wealthy way of thinking. When I say wealthy, I'm hanging it on the nail of Hebrew, that worship of Abram to the Most High God that Melchizedek recognized. Are we good? Wealthy is bigger than riches to me. Money is a thing in our pocket. Riches is the stuff we accumulate. Wealth is the value of good around us. Happy wives. Sorry. You know, happy wife, happy life. If you got you young guys, write that down, okay? Happy peaceful homes, sound sleep, uh, productive lives. These things are true riches. I mean, they are, uh, they're, that's, that's what we're after. We want to thrive. We want to become the head, but not a villain. Okay? So, what are some ways? Now, I'm going to make, the, these are giant points, but I'm going to tell you later where you can get them over there if you care. But I just, we are flying over lots of material here. To make financial decisions should not be made on, okay, how do we do this? Who has driven a car? 
Who has seen bugs on the windshield of your car? Like tons of bugs. Like don't turn on your windshield wiper bugs. Right? You're just like, whoa. Because they're just all over and you just like tiptoe, try to see through, but do not turn on your windshield wipers. Amen? That many bugs. How many have noticed that life is filled with bugs on our windshield? It's like a constant decision needing to be made. And there are hundreds of them. Let's just go to the area of money. There are endless decisions to be made constantly. And if we do our best, we do our best. Gee whiz, should I buy an IRA? Should I do pork bellies? Should I invest in that prairie dog ranch? Should I go buy Bitcoin? What do I buy? You know, our chicken feet in now? What's, you know what I'm saying? There's all these things to invest in. And we worry and we stress. Some of you finally catching on to that one? No, by the way, these are not investment advice. Okay, do not go. Although the Prairie Dog Ranch is a favorite of mine. I'm thinking about that. But that's another time we'll talk about that. There are constant decisions. You cannot make your decisions well one at a time from the, from the back of a decision model. That's like pushing your life. Your life financially needs to be pulled by something greater. All of those decisions, I'm going to call tactics. Whoopsie. You guys with me? I'm trying fast. Tactics. Tactical decisions are necessary. We have to make them. We have to make them, but they are loud. They are constantly screaming at us, and there's an urgency to make our decisions. We have to make them all the time, but to make a wise tactical choice is better to be pulled than pushed. What pulls your tactics? Strategies. What are you trying to do? How are you going to get uh, somewhere is a strategic answer. If I'm going to get debt-free, which is a tactic, I'm going to pay off my debt, that's a tactic, I need to know what my strategy is. Otherwise, I'm going to get debt-free, get right back in debt, and then use the tool I've become expert in, and that is getting out of debt. But I've seen, I have seen like professional-grade get-out-of-debtors. They get out of debt, they get back in, and they get out, because that's the one tool they have. It's this little pick, and they just start digging away at their debt. They have no strategy beyond getting debt-free. So they just keep doing what they know. But strategies and tactics are better pulled than pushed by what? Vision. Which answers, what do you see? Which determines, how will I get there? And your bugs, all your decisions become yes or no answers. Not this big drama of pork bellies or not. Pork bellies or not. From the front, pulling, it becomes... What was I thinking? Pork bellies. That's ridiculous. Right? You think, oh, this is what I want to do. It clears out the confusion. But like strategy and tactics, vision is better pulled by something greater. What is that? That's your purpose. That's why you're alive. I'm moving quick, but I've got to. Purpose is a powerful engine. It answers why I'm alive. It's powerful when you're thinking about money. Why do you want to get a better job? That's a why question. You better answer it 
because that's a purpose issue. If you don't answer why and you become a visionary monster, just super powerful, it's like your locomotive on this train is right here. Let me make it orange. I'll make it red. There's my engine of my locomotive. Can you see it? That is my, that's a visionary. It's a person who has cast a vision and they hunker down, they strap in and they just start pulling their tactics and strategies financially for years one day they look up, their, their wife is gone, their car won't start, the dog ran off. It's a country music song. <laughs> They're living a country western song. because This is men, that's called a midlife crisis. So each of these pinches are painful. If I move... If, I have my, if I'm a tactical thinker, I'm pushing all these heavy objects that are more important. There's something greater. I'm going to get pinches. I'll make this financial very shortly. Strategies will pull tactics. That's a very powerful arrangement. But it's running the risk of a pinch at the vision point. If I become a visionary... That's very powerful. I can probably pull myself decades, but I run the pinch of a midlife crisis. If I put my engine here, I now have the perpetual motion machine. I get up every day and know why I'm alive, and financial problems and questions become really simple. That division inside, why would God want me to be wealthy or rich? Why would he? Can I say the word rich? I'm a Christian. That kind of, sounds kind of rough. Can I say that? I don't know. When I know why I'm alive, it's like, I, yeah, let him do that because I know exactly where to put it. I am Abraham. I know how this works when I have my purpose answered. But what is most important, and I'll move to the next slide shortly, you need to know this very important idea. You've got to know who you are. This is raw gospel. You see, yesterday we worked on the spirit of orphan. I said the devil is the orphan. That is his spirit. He has puppets around powerful things. One of those is money. Those puppets that dance around money are poverty and mammon, villain and victim. He wants us, as the body of Christ, to get stuck between poverty and mammon. He wants us to wander around and argue and decide, should we be here or here or here? You get that? And the whole thing is a waste of time. My grandpa, farmer, said, Stevie, never wrestle with a pig. <laughs> now, I was about six years old, and I could not figure out why I should never wrestle with a pig. That sounds pretty fun. So I finally said, Grandpa, why should I never wrestle with a pig? He said, because you both get muddy and the pig likes it. <laughs> Poverty and mammon do not care which one you fight with because its job is to get you bogged down and wrestling, fighting against the spirits of poverty and blah, blah. I'll tell you, do this. You want to stop the puppets? You cut the legs, the strings off of the orphan puppet master. 
and Poverty Mammon, they fall limp, and you navigate through the three characters. Victim, villain, poverty, mammon, hero, Jesus. When we start thinking and building our muscles around how do I make my money serve me? Because I am serving a master. And I know who he is. More important, I know who I am. Romans 8.15, write it down. Galatians 4, 1 through 5, write it down. Life is better pulled than pushed. The wealthy, and my last point, and then we're going to stop and do some prayer. We'll bring this, rein this thing in. But we've been lied to, again. You see, most financial information that is flowing to us through internet, through, um, what else do we get it from? Through our my iPhone, through radio, through however it's coming to us, it's coming to us with a almost invisible bias. It talks about spending or income, make more income, or it says spend less money, or you can afford this new car. Let's see how much income you have so we can see what you qualify for in a loan. Does that sound familiar? Hey, we want to buy a house. Okay, let me help you out. Show me your pay stubs. Right? Because we have to demonstrate we have a source of income. This isn't evil, but it's deceptive. All the conversation come to us is income statement oriented. That's called income statement affluence. We are oriented in the poor and middle class to think income statement affluence. We become very conversant in how to drive up our income and to lower our expenses. We will nitpick on uh, Amazon. Should I buy that book from this dealer for $7.98 plus shipping? Or that, de- that sales place for $14 without shipping. What should I do? And we will like haggle over income and spending. Here's the news. Probably my last point of the night. That is not how the wealthy think. They don't even think. They have income statements. They manage all that. They get it. But that is not how they navigate their decisions like this. They think... Balance sheet affluence. They think on the balance sheet. They think if I buy a new car, brand new car, I'm going to make it a Tesla. And let's make this an $80,000 Tesla. Does that sound right? I don't own a Tesla. Close enough? 80000 bucks right off the showroom floor. Man, it smells great when you get in it. That's why I'm buying it. This car smells good. I start that car, I take $80,000 and I give it to them. Well, let's do better. Let's, say, let's just keep it simple. Let's say I borrow $80,000 and I buy the car. You with me? Yes. Right when I start that engine, what do I have? I have an $80,000 car minus an $80,000 loan, Right? Right before I did that, I had 
had no cash and no debt. Zero minus zero equals what? Zero. I'm not off the ground. If I'm an airplane, I'm driving around the airport. Right? We're driving all over the place. We're talking on the thing. I'm eating peanuts. But we're driving all over. We can't go anywhere because I'm still at zero. To fly anywhere, I have to get over the fence and over the building, right? So wealthy think altitude. Right before, I had zero and zero. I owned zero. I owed zero. You with me? I went in and I said, hey, I want that car. He said, okay, that's going to cost you. That car is worth 80000 but I'm going to have to borrow 80 to get it. You with me? Before I was zero, after I'm zero. You see it? 80 minus 80. What if I was a millionaire, but I owed a million dollars in debt? I'm still driving around the airport, aren't I? It's just I got a lot of cool stuff laying around that I can look at through the window as I drive my airplane. <laughs> Check out my boat. This is America. This is the posers who have lots of stuff in their life. They drive around the airport, and they have a lot of cool things, but they have no altitude. The wealthy don't think like that. Because what happens is when I start this car, boom, mm, it smells good, and I drive it off the, off the parking lot, and I get out on the street, it becomes a used car. And some estimate they can fall up to 50%. Let's not do that to ourselves. Let's, let's do this. Let's drop it to 60000 I don't know what a used Tesla is, 60000 Does that sound good? I have just done what to my altitude? I've become a submarine. What are you talking about, Steve? I have the income to support it. The middle class and the poor will think on the income statement. The wealthy will think on the balance sheet. Now, there's lots and lots more to talk about, but we can do this. We have the mind of Christ. We know who is calling us. We need to know who we are. We are not tails. We're to be the head. But we cannot risk becoming villains. We must be heroes. How do you do that? The first night, financial sozo. All right? You pull out lies and you place it with truth. What are these? Little T's and you put in big T's. So we are learning to think like Jesus. And Jesus is not American. Now, we got a lot of cool ideas, but not all of them are bad. Hard work, rule of law, love of justice, love of country, these are beautiful virtues. But my last conversation, I'm about to take off here. I won't, I'll see you guys again, but I run out of time here. So I just want to say, Understand there's two parts to this job. One is the heart work. And we've got to not tolerate our junk. If you were here last night, you would have heard about the blender. 
without a lid. I won't go into it. But we've got it. We have a tool. Let's use it. That is the Holy Spirit. Let's use it. The other part is let's look at how wealth works. Let's learn money from the inside out. And many of their ideas are different than ours because we are looking through a lens that has many layers. Puritanism, which is not evil. You hear me, right? But it does affect some of our thinking. Our ability to feel we are closer to God when we're vulnerable, which is so normal. You know, when I'm in trouble, my prayers get so simple and pure. It's like, Jesus, if you'll help me right now, I promise I will always stop at stop signs. I will, I will pet my dog every day. I will brush my teeth and floss. You know, we just, our life gets so honest and pure before the Lord when we're in trouble. When we have wealth and abundance, when we become the head, it's harder to be that way. In fact, it's supernatural to be that way. But the requirement of that is the same whether we have a little or a lot. 2 Corinthians 11.3. That we... Is that the right address? I'll have to check if that's the right address. You guys are smart. You got a good pastor. Ask him. But the idea of the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ is that Hebrew idea that we always got to be. It never leaves us. And if, what if God were to prosper us? What if you were completely powerful? What if you... Now look at all this stuff. I'm sorry. There, just, just watch. Okay. A little moving picture. We're almost done. And here's a quick review. <laughs> almost done. Here's a little thing. If you want these little illustrations, they're for sale. No, I'm kidding. Uh, If you ask the pastor, I'll email him, and you guys can pass them on. So if you want, somehow talk, and you can get them. Is that fine? Yeah. If you want the illustrations. But these are super powerful, so you can't let anybody see these. I mean, you can I didn't. Open water. I have the answers to the survey. I'm going to not complicate our landing. I'll make them available. We got a bunch. Why don't you take them when you leave? Does that sound good? If anybody has any questions on this stuff, email me. My email is myfullname.com. Let's see. I think I got it here somewhere. Oh, I have it on the bottom of the sheet. StephenKDeSilva.com. If you have a question, go to that website and you can contact me. Okay, do it. Let's learn this stuff, guys. I've got some products over there. They're 10 bucks each. But check this out. I need to get rid of all that stuff. The blue one is what tonight is about. It's all this jazz down here. The purple one is all the stuff from last night. The white one is kind of a foundation. Money and the prosperous soul, the concept. All three for 20 bucks. If you want them, I just need to get rid of that stuff. I'm going to close with a blessing. Are you good?
I want you to close your eyes and picture Father God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit in this room right now. Father God, we ask you to show yourself to us. Jesus, the lover of our soul, show me where you are. And Holy Spirit, our comforter and teacher, would you reveal yourself? Would you brood over us right now and show me? Let me see you. Father, would you come really close? Jesus, would you come really close? Surround us, Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm asking for everyone in here and anyone watching online if that's going on. Lord, I'm asking for a miracle of breakthrough. I'm asking God that you would heal our triangles, our ability to carry whatever you bring. I'm asking for an upgrade in our capacity, Father. I'm praying for this, these two churches and this valley to prosper multiples of what they are used to. I'm asking for a multiplication of increase. And Father, as they grow, I'm asking for a download of super smart Jesus ideas. Lord, we are carrying the helmet of salvation. We want the mind of Christ. We ask for it now in Jesus' name. We pray you would train us into supernatural stewards. Keep us like Abraham, tender and ferocious for Almighty God. Give us stability and the ability to sustain our churches, our homes, our businesses over generations. No weak believers. We ask for powerful believers. And those of us that are weak, we ask God, give us the anointing to strengthen them, to bring them into our camp and make them ferocious too. Give us an evangelism of jealousy that the world would be jealous to be inside this community. I ask it in Jesus' name that that would be a mantle I leave in this, in this group, an evangelism of jealousy. The world would see us and recognize those are the ones that serve Christ and handle God's secrets. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Got a little long.